Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. He didn't know who Jesus was, but he completely disregarded the question and was straight onto the problem. He was laser focused that that water was his solution. Have you any experience in the miraculous? Not finding a parking spot on a busy day in town, but the impossible made possible through a miracle? In the New Testament of the Bible, John records a number of miracles performed by Jesus. One in particular was the healing of a man who had been lame for 38 years. He got up, picked up his bed and walked just because Jesus told him to. The impossible was made possible by the miraculous power of Jesus. The story raises many questions. Why that man and no one else? What did that man do to merit such a miracle? And what's that got to do with us today? Tonight we're in the New Testament book of John, chapter 5, with a guest speaker as we explore the lame man. Good morning, I'm Karen Dixon. And no, I am not the Pastor Andrew who was advertised. I was not in the brochure, and I'm terribly sorry about that. Um, but Andrew is unable at short notice to uh, preach this morning. So Josiah and myself are going to be sharing from the word now, in recent weeks, Pastor Andrew has uh, been working through the Gospel of John. I've pinched his slide, so at least it looks authentic, doesn't it? Um, and he's asked us to continue on that path by looking at John chapter 5. And at first glance, you will notice that chapter 5 is about the lame man that Jesus heals. And so you might think to yourself, well, I can sit comfortably now because this is going to be a nice little homily about how Jesus has uh, miracles and heals people and no one's going to get hurt. Or maybe not. What I'd like to do is ask the question this morning that by looking at this passage about the man who was healed, what do we discover about who Jesus is. What do we discover about who Jesus is? And when we explore scripture and when we look at who Jesus is, we can't walk away unaffected. Josiah is going to pick up after that and, and share some thoughts as well. But before we approach anything, let's pray. Father God, we praise you because you are God. Because nothing catches you by surprise and you have a perfect purpose. I praise you and thank you for your presence this morning and I thank you for the truth of your word and the power of your word. And I pray that by your spirit you would minister to hearts this morning. And whilst I might be here at short notice, God, there is no short notice with you because you are God. Thank you for what you have in store for us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when Pastor Andrew began his series in John, in the Gospel of John, we opened at chapter 1. And the first words we read were, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Now, right from the opening verses, the authority of Jesus is established. And it's upon that foundation that John sets about revealing to us, the reader, who Jesus is. Almost like starting a letter with a preface. It's almost like, okay, so just to be clear, I'm going to tell you about this bloke, Jesus. And so that there's no confusion, he's like, he's like God, He's, he's like the head honcho. He's got the authority. Nothing has happened unless he made it happen. He and God are like. So just so that it's clear, Jesus is it. Now, if I was a teenager, I'd have had way more likes in there. You know, like, like Jesus and like God. They're just like, you know, like, you know how it is. I'm not very good at it. You have to ask my kids for that. John had a Greek, oh, burn. John had a Greek audience. And the Greeks had a philosophical bent. They wanted to know the reasons for everything. He was writing, John was writing, to persuade people to believe in Jesus. And so he states right from the outset that Jesus has the authority of God himself. And then he proceeds to back it up with evidence by detailing the things that Jesus did. In chapter 2, we read the first of his miracles. He attended a wedding in Cana, and there was a little bit of a drinks crisis at the minibar, and so his mother Mary asked him to take care of it. We read that he turned water into wine, and Grant Burge and Joseph Cromie have got nothing on Jesus in terms of wine quality. But why did he do that? In chapter 2, we also read that Jesus at the time of Passover went into the temple at Jerusalem and found it full of money changers and retailers. And he overturned tables and threw people out. And he declared publicly that they should destroy the temple and he would rebuild it in three days. Why did he do that? He had a conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3 that messed with poor Nicodemus' mind, talking about being born again. He shared with Nicodemus, the great teacher of Israel, the most wonderful truth in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why did he do that? In chapter 4, Jesus not only went into dodgy Samaria, but spoke to a woman alone at the well, he revealed his authority to her when he told her more about herself than what she was actually happy to declare. Why did he do that? And so we open chapter 5. And I invite you, I haven't got the whole chapter on the screen, so I invite you to open your Bibles and read with me. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. John chapter 5, now verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. 
Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you. Hmm. Not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is this man and who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, and this next passage is Jesus speaking directly, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater words than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son." that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life. As he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus continues to speak and he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. He's speaking about John the Baptist. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, 
bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is no one who accuses you. No, there is one, excuse me, who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's zero in on Jesus and his interaction with the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralysed. There was a belief, a superstition, that when the water was stirred in the pool, the first one who got into the pool would be healed. There were a multitude of people there, and I imagine it was an unpredictable time frame between stirrings of the pool. So people were potentially waiting for ages for their healing, and there's nothing that actually says that the healing takes place, but that was the superstition. Be that as it may, many, a multitude in fact, were poised, ready to try their luck in the water. And a man who had been an invalid for 38 years is just one of the multitude Five roofed colonnades and a multitude of people were there. So verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said, do you want to be healed? Freeze frame. A lame man, a bloke who can't walk, suggests he was either lying on the floor or sitting propped up against the colonnade wall, was watching and waiting for the water to stir. He might have been an invalid for 38 years, but we don't know how long he'd actually been beside the pool. But this man being lame is likely to have spent day after day after day after day beside the pool. He is a man unlikely to be self-sufficient, more than likely a beggar. He has very little going for him. His prospects were probably Zippo, and he would have been dependent on either family or charity. Not a standout, and likely at least a little bit unpleasantly fragrant, I'm guessing. And Jesus approaches him. So in a multitude of people, why him? Jesus actually has the power to heal the multitude. Everybody. There was nothing that limited his power such that he could only choose a select few. He could have healed everybody, but he walks up to one bloke. The man he spoke to didn't even know who he was or what he was capable of offering. In the mind of the lame man, if he was going to be healed, then he needed to get to the water. 
in his understanding and in his 38 years of being an invalid, the only way for him to be healed was to get into the water. So he answers Jesus with the obvious. Well, I'm doing everything I can to get healed, but I can't get to the water. Someone always gets in before me. I have no one to help me into the water. The lame man sees what he believes has to be done, but he can't make it happen. So what does Jesus do? Does he fulfil this man's expectations? Jesus could have perhaps just stirred the water and then helped the man into it. No, he tells him to get up. The man had a framework in his mind for how he was to be healed. He just needed a bloke to help him action it. Only this bloke is not just a bloke. This bloke is Jesus. Why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus walk past everyone else, potentially over other people, to this lame man specifically? Why did Jesus stick his neck out to tell the man to pick up his bed in complete contravention of Jewish law on the Sabbath, if you don't mind, which according to Jewish law was, of course, a day of rest. Now, just to be clear, the Sabbath was ordained by God as a day of rest and rightly should it be observed as one for worship. But the Jewish law had, begun, had gone beyond observing the Sabbath for as a day of worship. They'd gone to dizzy heights of ridiculous with a list of rules a mile long that in actual fact probably distracted the Jews' attention away from worship because they were so focused on getting the laws right. And in the wake of Jesus healing this man, what was the response of the Jewish leaders? How dare you heal this man on the Sabbath? Completely breaching Jewish law. A man who had been lame for 38 years just got up and walked away from a pool and we're worried about breaching Sabbath law. Are you for real? It's one of those moments when I just want to go, really? Come on. There is so much going on in this scene. When you unpack this passage, it's like, oh, my goodness. The Jewish leaders are cross because the Sabbath law has been breached. The lame man has just gotten up and walked away from the pool with his mat in his hand and he didn't even get in the water. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. There's no mention of a thank you but we don't exactly get a he said, she said, so there could have been a thank you, so we're not going to hang him for that. But the big question is why? Why did Jesus choose that man? Why did he heal him? What do we learn about Jesus? What are the key ingredients in Jesus' miracles and in his interactions with people? Because I'll be honest... If I was listening to me right now, I'd be going, okay, so what we're going to hear is the key stuff that is part of Jesus' miracles because that'll tell me what I have to do to position myself for my miracle. Hmm. When Jesus turned the water into wine, it was not in response to hours of prayer or a big declaration of faith. It wasn't even a big show that Jesus put on. People didn't know what he'd done. In fact, he was even reluctant to do anything and draw attention to himself. He told his mother, my time has not come. He knew what the outcome of that particular miracle was going to be. He knew what he was starting. 
when he spoke to Nicodemus, why did Jesus divulge so much to a Jewish leader when so many of his Jewish peers were not only wary but very critical of Jesus? Nicodemus was influential in the Jewish community, sure, and we could, we could say that perhaps Jesus was positioning him to help him with the ministry, but he was taking a big risk. What if Nicodemus sold him out? When he approached the Samaritan woman, why did he reveal his identity to her? She had nothing to recommend her, that is for sure. She was not a leader or a woman of influence, which, let's face it, is an oxymoron because women weren't influential in that context, especially being Samaritan and a dodgy one. She had five husbands to her history. Why did Jesus do these things? And if we apply earthly logic to it, we really struggle because there's no pattern you can't look at the miracles and go, okay, well, Jesus healed the lame man and we can see this, this and this in play. Jesus turned the water and the wine and we can see this, this and this in play. What about the woman who approached Jesus with 12 years of bleeding? Oh, okay, so these things are in play. Ah, there's a pattern because there isn't one. There's no evidence that Jesus chose to reveal himself just to men and women of influence, great men and women of faith. They weren't impressively righteous. There were no big prayers. There was nobody who did the big, oh, yes, I've hit the jackpot of X number of prayers this week. Although you could argue that Nicodemus maybe had a bit going for him on the righteous front. When Jesus moved to reveal his power through signs and revelations, um, reveal his authority, he did it because he had and has, straight from Scripture, the full authority of God. Because as John so clearly writes in chapter 3, verse 31, he who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus, one with God, is from heaven and is above all. He has ultimate knowledge and authority and what's more, he knows us. The lame man didn't know who he was, but Jesus knew him. The Samaritan lady at the well didn't know who Jesus was, but Jesus knew her. Nicodemus was still exploring. He wasn't sure about Jesus, but Jesus knew him. John chapter 2, 23 to 25 says, When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs and wonders that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He knows us. Man has little to recommend him, and Jesus knows it. It's not our faith, it's not our prayer life, it's not our theological competence or anything else that recommends us to Jesus. And it wasn't any of those things that drew Jesus to heal the lame man. Whenever Jesus revealed his authority and power by signs and revelations, he did so in ways that fulfilled the purpose of God the Father. Consistent with his sovereignty, but most importantly, purely and utterly because of his grace. When we look for the recipe, what's on the checklist of things that I need to do to please God and bring healing, if I have more faith, if I keep the laws of the Bible, if I give away my possessions, if I pray really hard, and if I make sure that I tithe, and if I'm always in church and I do extra ministry stuff, if I'm a good Christian, whatever that is, 
then Jesus will hear my prayer and I'll be healed. Or I'll see that that thing that weighs me down will be lifted from me. We're looking for that. Aha! I got it. I've got the list. I can see the pattern. Jesus healed because of this, this and this. But there is no recipe and there is no pattern and there is no checklist. But there is one foundational principle and it's grace. What we discover as we read John's Gospel and indeed this account of the layman at Bethesda is that there is nothing we can do. Why did Jesus heal that man? I have no idea. Except that he's Jesus. He is above all and he does everything because of grace. Unmerited favour. Jesus is above all. He knows us and what's more... He knows, this, this will either terrify you or comfort you, no end. He knows the complete context of our situation. Think about that. The complete context of the situation. Andrew was unable to preach at short notice, which means I'm here. Oh dear, short notice. Only in my world. Because what I am not across is what's happening for all of you. I don't know what message you need to hear or the person who's sitting in their lounge room or listening to online, but God does. I'm sorry Andrew's not here. Maybe you are too. But God is not caught by surprise. God actually understands the complete context. Not just my context, not just what he's got to teach me, but in all of this business over here with last-minute Karens on the platform, God's actually across what you needed to hear already. I love that. Why did Jesus heal that lame man? Why did he walk over all of the multitude to get to that lame man? Because maybe Jesus knew more than what John did when he wrote the story. I don't know, just throwing it out there. Jesus knew the complete context and made a decision consistent with the will of his father. What do we learn about Jesus? That he is the ultimate authority and the author of unmerited favour. Why does Jesus do that? Grace is why Jesus does that. That's why he spoke to the Samaritan woman. That's why he had that intimate conversation with Nicodemus. That's why he heals. It's why he does what he does because of grace. I'm going to let Joe pick it up. Grace. Grace. Through God's grace. Isn't that so good? And I'm here to do what I like to call land the plane. And no, I am not a qualified pilot, so please strap in and hold on for dear life. I've got one question that I'm going to be bringing to you today following on from what Karen brought to us, and that is, in what way are we lame? What makes you lame? You may be thinking, Joe, where, where are you going with this? Karen just, just brought us that on, on that, and God works through what he works in because of grace. But is there a direct link or parallel between the man that was lame and us? Here he was, as Karen just brought to us, by the water, crippled, unable to, to move, unable to, 
to do life, a lot of what we do day to day by himself. And he felt like he knew how he was going to be healed. He was there waiting for the water to stir. In verse 6, as Karen said, Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? The crippled man instantly replied, I have no one to help me. I have no one to help me to get down in the pool of the water when it stirs. While I'm trying to get in, someone else gets ahead of me. Straight away, he was back to the problem, fixated on the issue of him unable to get into the water. He didn't know who Jesus was, but he completely disregarded the question and was straight onto the problem. He was laser-focused that that water was his solution, so hyper-focused that getting in the water would solve his problems. He was so narrow-minded that if he was the first one in that water, that the mystic powers of that water when it stirred would be the thing that would heal him. He was so focused on the problem of himself not being first in that water and completely ignored the question that Jesus posed to him. But Jesus then instantly replied back. He said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now, if I was that man, I'd been crippled for 38 years. Someone goes, pick up your mat and walk. I'd be like, Who is, what is this guy talking about? What is this fool? But yet at once, it says in chapter verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And like Karen said, not a thank you, not a, wow, this is incredible. He picked up his mat and he walked. And on this day, which it happened, was a Sabbath. And this poses a massive problem for Jesus. And like Karen began to unpack, the Jewish leaders were furious. It says, as we go on in the, in the chapter, that the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus even more. They were furious about what Jesus had done. They were so focused that he had broken the laws, that he had healed someone on the Sabbath, and that he was calling himself equal to God, that they didn't even care about the healing. If this guy had walked in and had been healed, it's this amazing thing. The Jewish leaders are just like, all right, Jesus, he's at it again. How dare he? How dare he heal someone on the Sabbath? They were so focused on the Jewish laws that he had broken, on, on all those things that Jesus was claiming he was, that they couldn't even see his authority. They were so blinded by focusing on the laws and on what Jesus had done wrong that they could not see his authority or see him as he claimed to be. They had boxed the Messiah. They had boxed God and thought, no, this can't be this guy. Here Jesus is as we go on, and he gives a testimony of who he is, testifying before the Jewish leaders against their accusations. He says in verse 36, I have a testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing. He goes on to say in verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
These are the very scriptures that testify about me. He goes on and on and gives evidence of who he is to these Jewish leaders. But they are so fixated and blinded that they can't see him as the Messiah. Just like the crippled man, he didn't see any other way but this mystic water that when it stirred, if he was to jump in, that he was going to be healed. That was his answer. The Jewish leaders, very similarly, were focused on the laws. They couldn't see Jesus' authority or what, who he was because they were so focused on, fixated on what he'd done wrong. And that brings me to my question of where are we lame? Where are we like the Jewish leaders? Where are we like the crippled man? What is it that we are being so narrow-minded on? Is there pressure at work? There's some of you have health dilemmas or know people who have health dilemmas. There's strains on relationships. Maybe you have financial stress or you are struggling to meet the demands of other people. Maybe there's family turmoil. Whatever it is, we've all got problems. I'll be the first to say, I have my things that I am fixated on. But are we so fixed in our thinking that when we are asking God for these things, we're so fixated on this is how he's going to do it. Lord, I, I, need, I need this amount of money. I need to reach this. Lord, you need to fix this. And we are so fixated that God is going to do this and he's going to move in such a way, so focused on the outcome that we actually lose sight of how God's moving and his authority. And we're still holding on onto that circumstance. We are so focused on the outcome that God is going to move like this because that's what I need in this circumstance that we don't actually see him moving. We lose sight. Just like the Jewish leaders, we lose sight of how God is moving and we're blindsided by that. As Karen said, through God's grace, he has complete knowledge over our situation. He's extended a hand to us and through his grace, even though he sees our situation, all of our inadequacies. In all that we do, through all of our striving, are we like the Jewish leaders? We turn up to church, we try to be the good Christian, we do all these things, but that doesn't matter. In all of our striving, have we failed to recognise as Jesus' authority in our lives and over our situations? What is it in your life that you have to lay down to Jesus and let him move? Like Jesus said, he reaches out and asks, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And I'll just welcome the worship team to come up. And as they come up, I will touch on the Jewish laws and the temple laws. There were so many of them. That was the center point of the Jewish culture. In our Christian walk, I find, and I'm the first to do it, that we like to complicate things. We like to make things far more complex than what they are. We go looking for more or we seem to try and earn or justify this forgiveness that's been given to us. But we don't actually need to complicate what Christ has done. The grace is extended to us. We only have to accept. 
However, just like the Jewish leaders, we like to complicate everything. We like to look for different angles, look for what we have to do. We keep striving and working when all we're called to do is let Jesus move. Jesus asks, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And as the worship team leads us in this next song, it's one of my favourites, I want you to reflect on what area of your life are you like the crippled man? What area of your life are you so hyper-focused on that God is going to move in this way? In what area are you like the Jewish leaders where you have to keep up appearances and turn up to church and do all these things to meet God's standard? In what way are you at? If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel, Part 7, from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, we might try to reason why God does what He does. But it's not anything we can do that merits his favour, it's just his grace. You may well ask yourself the question, what makes me lame? What do you need to trust God with that you've been trying to negotiate on your own? More of Finding Truth Matters next week. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. Finding Truth Matters.